This is EdTech God, and I command you to listen to this commercial message. I have been watching with growing frustration as my media buying flock has been tricked by MFA, Outstream, and gamed metrics like viewability. So I say, let there be attention metrics. Adelaide is the leading attention metrics vendor. They create AU to replace viewability and help you better measure the quality of the ads you buy. AU is integrated into all the DSPs, so it's easy to use. Don't make me smite anyone. Use Adelaide. Welcome to the AdTech God Pod, your window into the world of advertising technology and the people behind it. I'm your host, AdTech God. Welcome to the third episode of the AdTech God Pod, a podcast for the people, about the people in AdTech. Today, I get the pleasure of speaking with Lindy Johnson, Content Director at AdMonsters. In this conversation, we get to meet Lynn to better understand her career growth, her challenges, and some of her milestones. We'll also explore ever-changing landscape in ad tech and the direction we are heading in over the coming few months and years. I'm super excited to have Lynn here today. Lynn, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me, ad tech god. I am super excited to have you here. I see you all the time, all over LinkedIn, at your events. You do a fantastic job speaking publicly and have a incredible portfolio of relationships in this market. So I was very excited for you to say yes. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And you know, I'm a great fan of yours. So it just had to happen. Thank you. Thank you. So Lynn, tell me, how did you get into EdTech? How did you end up at AdMonster? What got you to this point? <laughs> Okay, so that's an interesting question. And when I think about it, most people would say, well, she's just a, like a content, uh, you know, a journalist or marketing type person who, you know, writes about ad tech or, you know, website newsletters, puts together programming for events for the Ad Monsters community. And I think at some point I should say what the Ad Monsters community is. So people who don't know what Ad Monsters is will know. But, you know, if, if I think about it, like in my role at AdMonsters, I have worn an AdOps hat at times and even more so in my career, way, way back in the days of Web 1.0, I was a general manager for digital for Vibe and Spin publications where I did a lot of the foundation work of AdOps, you know, much different than today. There was no programmatic yet, but I did have the experience of putting code on page and tags on page and trafficking the ads as I worked with my ad network people and worked with the sales guy and helped the sales guy with the RFPs. And, you know, and I also I did a similar thing in a job. I had a fast company as a editorial person, but I was also very much involved in our ad products and our sales. So I've kind of worn the hat of ad ops, product, and sales to a certain extent, but I never really thought about it until I started going to Ad Monsters events and listening to the people talk about their jobs. Because when I first got the job, I was like, well, it's about tech and it's about advertising. And I know both of those things because I wrote about tech for a lot of years and I was involved in advertising for a lot of years. So at first I was like, 
I don't really know this field, but the more I heard people talk about what they do, I realized that I had been doing this kind of work for many years. It's pretty amazing to me, and you've probably heard me promote ad ops so much. Um, I don't come from an ad ops background, but I have learned that they are absolutely the foundation of our business. And I think they're often looked past in terms of, you know, send it to ad ops, they'll handle it, but they really are what's keeping the entire industry together. Their foundation to success at any company. And so I love speaking to people who have that background because the knowledge that they have on both the technical front and how the entire ad tech, you know, ecosystem chugs along and works is great to hear. And so most of my conversations actually happen with ad ops people because they have such a different perspective than, than someone in sales or product or business development. So I love that you, you've rolled up your sleeves and been there. I think it's a, a great experience to have. Oh, yeah. I was also doing some site development and content production as well as writing. But I think, you know, I didn't realize how important it was for me to understand the background of it, to be writing about it and covering it in the way that I do, and to be able to ask people the right questions. You know, I talk to a lot of um, ad tech vendors, particularly CEOs, and, you know, I've had to have done some stuff or studied some stuff to have the right kinds of conversations with them, the questions. You know, I ask them the kind of questions that really dig into how are they really benefiting the advertising ecosystem. Can you touch up on that? I mean, I would love for you to, to explain, maybe without naming names or companies, but there, there needs to be a value that's brought into the market for it to scale. And I think I'd love to just hear your perspective of, of what type of advice you have given to CEOs or what type of discussions you have had that you felt helped them correct or change the way they operate. Well, I can tell you, you know, some things I've learned by having publishers at our conferences is that they want a lot more from their SSPs, right? And better, like, these SSPs to better differentiate themselves. Like, not just slap on an ID solution or not just offer one of these end-to-end solutions. Like, oh, okay, now we're starting a DSP, too, and we can offer end-to-end. But there's a lot with reporting that I'm always hearing about, right? There's a lot. And we know we go back a few years ago with that study that came out the unknown delta, the 15% that is missing, and how this lack of transparency in the ecosystem. So I'm hearing often that publishers are not able to get the data they need to be successful in their roles and their jobs and to, to make their companies revenue efficient. So when I talk to some of these SSPs, I'm telling them this, and then I'm inviting them to roundtable discussions with publishers where publishers, and I shouldn't say just I, but AdMonsters is inviting ad tech vendors to roundtable discussions with publishers to hear what publishers really want from them. 
because right now they don't feel like a lot of these SSPs are differentiating themselves or bringing them the best bids or bringing them the data that they need or helping them to figure out cookie lists, things like that. So those are the kinds of conversations I had. Like, you know, they rather, the pubs rather, some of these vendors not spend so much time talking about AI, (laughs) how they're going to integrate AI, and more time on like, the practical day-to-day kind of workflow solutions that publishers need to do their jobs better. Yeah, reporting has really become a challenge across the board, I think, in the in the publisher space. I think, you know, obviously a header bidding in the CTV space has kind of even the playing field for demand partners. They're they're now all able to bid and buy. The the challenge is is that reporting is is sometimes all over the map unless you're living on a on a unified tech stack, which which I'm a big supporter of, just because there is a central spot to pull reports. But a lot of the SSPs today moving into kind of the buy and sell side as well are, are creating kind of this ad network model that seems to be primarily focused on revenue generation. But I fear that the transparency in reporting will just get worse, even though the pitch is that it gets better. And I'm curious to see how that kind of forms as, as more SSPs take on that kind of strategy moving forward, because we're seeing it happen really everywhere at this point. Yeah, I think that's a big problem, a major problem. What do you think about this news that dropped about TTD and about the floor pricing? What do you think about that? That's a great question. Now you're interviewing me, Lynn. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can't help it. I can't help so it. So I think I, I think overall, the trade desk is actually, you know, obviously an industry leader. And they're obviously at the forefront of all kind of innovation and change in the market. And I'm not a trade desk employee, just just to put it out there. And I think when we started to cross over from the buy side and the sell side, we started to see kind of the breaking of what was traditionally a, a clear divide between both. Now, moving into bidding below floors, I've been asking this question since yesterday, that that's not an abnormal thing to do. Um, we constantly see bids below the floor. I don't believe it's being done on any particular deals. I think it's just across open exchange. And the publisher will be able to see a volume of bids coming through in their SSPs, and they're able to kind of determine whether they want to drop their floor prices in order to capture those bids. So in one aspect, I think nothing's really changed, and this is not news. In another aspect, I wonder, is this the first step to the race to the bottom? And I wonder if that, thank you, I mean, I wonder you heard is me that clapping, the overall right? strategy <laughs> right. or is this just, you know, them coming out and saying that we are doing this officially? I don't know. I, I think we have to see how this all pans out over the next few months. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, you know, we have this newsletter that comes out on Mondays called The Rapper that takes a deep dive into some of the news that you may have seen in the past week or right up until that, up until Monday. And we have another section we call water cooler. So it's like the things like we're talking about, like taking a short take on a topic like this. And the same thing you said was what 
usually my other writers write it, but when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is kind of non-news, and Ari gave us the TLDR on it, but beyond that, I see the start of the race to the bottom again, like like you said, and, and I wrote those words without having this conversation with you. So it's interesting that we had the same feedback about this, right? It's yeah. the same fears that I think sometimes we have related to audience buying, right? Like, mm. is this going to devalue the audience of a premium? And I come from connected TV. So is this going to devalue the value of an audience on a premium connected TV channel if we're able to poach the audience that we want? And does this drop the CPM? Or does this create value in that type of audience and will that drive CPMs up? And historically, we've seen audience buying if done across an open exchange, not really benefit the publisher, but rather poach the particular demographic or group or profile that we want to target. So it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. That's all I can say. I, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of, of that company overall, but we'll see how it pans out. That's all I yeah, can say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan too, and not this past year, but I think it was a year before when I went to ramp up. And the trade desk was up in. It's like trade desk is the next Google. But I think the industry has to hope they don't act like the next Google, if you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> I do. And, and, and something tells me I have faith that they won't act like the next Google. I just don't see that being beneficial long term, maybe short term, but, but long term. I don't, I don't see that being a benefit to trade desk or the, the industry especially with the promotion of the open web, I think it would kind of go against that, that policy and that view. Yeah. I, I didn't check yet, but I didn't check yesterday or today, but I don't know what that little bit of news did for this stock or if anything. I know I'm always, I'm banking on TTD. I have quite a few dollars invested because I'm waiting for them to really take off. I think, I think like you, I'm a fan I think there's a lot of promise with some of the solutions TTD has offered thus far. So overall, we'll just see how it pans out, like you said. Yep. And, and yep. hopefully, I mean, I, I'm, hopefully, I make some money too at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, Terry, Terry put the uh, ad tech God's Ten Commandments. I don't know if you saw that a few days ago. No, uh, I didn't. it's actually hilarious. And the tenth one was, I think it was, "I shall not covet Jeff Green's market cap." <laughs> um, and I thought that was amazing. Everyone's like, oh, everybody's already breaking that commandment. Of course. Um, <laughs> amazing. And, and in terms of, I guess, we'll jump into the next topic, evolution of our industry. You, you brought up AI. That's something that I follow really closely, by the way, not because it's particularly applicable to my career or my role today. It's just something I'm really intrigued by. But like, what other ad tech evolutions or changes are you hearing in the market that kind of spark interest in you, whether it's as, as a hobby or whether it's something related to your work? Yeah, well, definitely AI. And although we could go into that, I feel like so many people talk <laughs> about AI right now. I, I don't know if I, if I want to talk about that one as much. And, you know, watching the industry, everybody is talking about cookiness for sure. What has been surprising to me. I will tell you, we just had one of our conferences that we call Publisher Forum. And I asked how many folks were playing a privacy sandbox and maybe there was one hit. 
I asked how many folks were testing identity solutions. And maybe there were a couple of hands here and there, you know, like the, the big players. I do think from a publisher perspective, and of course the smaller guys won't be able to do this. I think the smaller guys are going to collaborate a lot more, right? To get the most revenue overall, collaborate like data collaborations and, and things like that, right? But I think that a lot of the larger players are going to go all in on contextual. And they are going to do a lot like what the New York Times and, and Bloomberg are doing, right? Like kind of cutting back on that third party open market stuff. And I don't know what that's going to do <laughs> or bids and pricing and everything. Like just how will that upend the market? You know what I mean? Everybody wants to become more privacy friendly. And I think contextual is probably the easiest to do in terms of respecting your user privacy, the removal of cookies, if that actually happens, even though they're saying Q1, I think is when Google's going to start phasing it out. I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like I'm, I'm in total denial. Now, I don't handle that piece of the business, so I'm not going to drive my company down into the gutter. But at the same time, I'm almost in denial that anybody would eliminate cookies. And I hope I'm wrong I, for the privacy case. I have a lot of publisher friends who the reason they haven't done anything is because they don't believe it, right? It keeps getting pushed back. Right. But, but I will tell you, we had, I don't know if you're familiar with who Joey Trotz is. Um, he used to work for IBM Watson and now works for Google at Privacy Sandbox. And he was at one of our conferences with Paul Bannister and said, and I quote, yes, H2 2024, we can expect finito, sayonara. It is, it is going to be interesting next year. Let's just say that. <laughs> this is Ed Tech God, and I hereby decree that flash talking shall be granted divine status with tools for creative personalization that are truly godlike. You could be more than omnichannel. You could be omniscient like me. Plus, with an independent ad server that covers open web, mobile, and CTV, you don't have to rely on that other big G. So stop praying for a way to get unbiased delivery for your campaigns and visit flashtalking.com slash pod. Tell them AdTech God sent you, and you'll get all the PDFs you can read. That's flashtalking.com slash pod. And that's the word of God. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I, I think, like you said, contextual. I mean, I think where ad spend is going is also interesting. Like, ad spend is going into video and CTV a lot. And I'm hearing a lot of publishers themselves testing, like, innovative content and advertising offerings like kind of like mimicking social media type of stuff, like swipe stories and things like that. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about swipe stories being like a good ad product, but 
what that reminds me of is, again, I dated myself and said I worked in Web 1.0 and our, you know, cash cow was slideshows, right? So the swipe story is basically the next iteration of the slideshow. But I do see for CTV, I think CTV is going to get really big, much bigger than it is, right? AVOD. AVOD is going to be the, the way to go. I think most of these companies doing SVOD are going to find out, like Netflix found out, that they're not going to be able to maximize their revenue. You know, there'll, there'll be more of a shakeup. Like we had all of these entrants into the space a couple of years back. I think there's going to be more shakeups there in CTV and more, you know, like, now Showtime is moving to Paramount Plus and and things like that, right? Where we're seeing more of combined efforts across some of these apps where like everybody was like, oh, I need an app. I need an app. I need an app. Right. The consolidation is, consolidation. is happening. That's the word and, I was and, looking for. And even the shift to fast, I think the last stat I heard, and don't hold me to it because I don't have it in front of me. I think they were saying in the next two or three years, in the next like three years or so, they're they're expecting it to be a ten billion dollar market just for the fast. Wow! Although, wow! Um, and there's going to be something like four hundred of them available. I think everyone from the hyper local channels to the big players like the Tubies of the world and the Zumos of the world and the Plutos of the world that are all owned by you know Fox Inc. or whether they're owned by uh, Viacom CBS or they're owned by Charter. Um, it's all the traditional cable companies are getting into fast because they realize that not everyone can afford 16 SVODs. And also to churn out ad revenue, the, the best way you can do it is create good, unique content, which all of them have, right? Fox has Fox News. Yeah, Pluto TV is partnered with, obviously part of Viacom CBS. And then you have um, Zumo, which is part of Comcast, and they just did a JV with Charter, right? Or maybe a year and a half ago with, with Charter Communications. So everybody seems to be moving in the direction of fast, which is a lot more familiar to the next generation or what I would like to say the previous generation of streaming television. It's just more comfortable. It's, it's watching TV with ads. It's really no different. So it'll be interesting to see Fast's growth over the next couple of years as well. Right. It will be. Um, but, you know, those challenges there. And I mean, everyone there's fraud. I'm not going to talk about the fraud piece. But the measurement piece. I cannot find anyone using the same measurement for it to make sense for the industry's growth overall. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about standardization. I think that's going to have to be the way to go. Yep. I, I agree. It, I agree. It, it, it has to be the way to go. Otherwise, the evolution is going to slow if there's no standardization on this measurement piece because it, everybody's not talking the same language, right? And no, but we, you know, we got into a big mess with only having one measurement for television. One way I look at it is, do we really want one supreme measurement solution that everybody lives by and whether or not it is accurate or what we need in the market, it is what we are going to use? Or 
do we want to provide options and some sort of mapping to put them on a parallel level? So whether it is one company or the other, it doesn't matter to me as long as we're able to understand how the measurement is being done and calculated, then it gives the opportunity for advertisers to decide which measurement solution is the best fit for them. But again, I, I, I think we still have some work to do in that space. For sure. And I think that's the piece. You, you hit the nail on the head there. There should not be just one solution, but there has to be an understanding of what, again, I, I think a common language, again, like, like I was talking about, or, or as you said, something that puts everything on parallel. So advertisers can make the right decisions with the right information. I think right now they can't, right? And they go to one publisher and one publisher using this and they go to another publisher and another publisher using that. And it gets tricky. <laughs> it gets tricky. When I listen to the publishers talk about it and they talk about what advertisers expect as ROI, I think in your space, right, is the ad pod. I think that still needs to be figured out in terms of the frequency capping. And I know Google has offered some solutions, but I, I don't know how it's working out. I haven't heard much about that lately. Yep. You you might know better than I about that stuff. Yeah, the frequency capping is, has reached a point where uh, it's under control, if I could say it that way. So I think frequency capping is starting to reach a, a mature state where it's not happening as much. I think during the pandemic, you probably remember if you were streaming anything, you'd have an entire pod of the same ad and it was a little out of control. But now like moving three years forward, you're not seeing back-to-back -back ads as much. I think the bigger challenge today is really the competitive separation piece, depending on the publisher. So how can we ensure that a Ford ad is not being followed up by a Toyota ad within the same ad pod, especially when the demand channels are coming in from uh, a separate, you know, one is a direct sale, one is coming in from SSP1, the other one's coming in from SSP2, the creative is not tagged or the parameter is not being passed correctly. How do we control that? I think there's still some challenges around that, although it's better, it's still not perfected. The frequency cap is, is, has really matured a lot over the last, I would say, 12 to 18 months. It is the competitive separation piece that continues to be an issue that is being worked on, I know, by the bigger players in the market. Okay. But it's, a, it's a work in progress. Exciting times, right? I love it. I mean, this is, this, I've said it before, this is all I really know. I live this life both, you know, nine to five and, you know, 501 to midnight. While I'm tweeting. While you're um, tweeting and memeing. Tweeting and memeing and hoping I'm not, you know, pissing anyone off too much, you know? Um, so it's, it's been fun. Uh, I guess closing remarks, like we're almost at time. It's 20, 28 minutes. This has been amazing. I'm, I love that we actually get to meet. I do not know you in real life. So it's been amazing. Any advice to anyone in the market, either looking for work today or interested in entering ad tech or advertising in general, any advice you want to give them? Yeah. The 
thing that I'm learning, it's interesting that you asked that question. And sorry, I have to keep, you know, doing commercials for my company. But again, we just came from Publisher Forum and I led a fireside chat with uh, two people who work at major publishers. And it was kind of a career oriented chat where we talked about their career evolution in ad ops. And, you know, I've spoken with many people about ad ops, ad tech careers. I think getting in is really about networking. So even ad tech Twitter is a place to network. There's a ad tech Slack. I'm sure we know that. There's a Mastodon. I don't know how many of those uh, communities you're in, ad tech God, ATG, but you know, these, these communities exist. Uh, the Reddit, the AdOps Reddit, there's some ad tech Reddits as well. Those are the starting places. But beyond that, just getting on LinkedIn and following some people who work in the ad tech space, because people are always posting jobs. People are always posting jobs. As far as skills, I'm learning that the technical skills don't matter quite as much because the technical skills can be trained. The soft skills that people have to think about, like the ability to communicate well, whether verbally or in written form, you know, because you have to write a lot of emails in this in this industry. And, you know, you might have to make some presentations or put together some spreadsheets. And all of that is about communicating. So as as well as you can build up those soft skills, also the ability to be flexible because someone said to me at the conference, ops is failing forward. And I don't think it's just ops. I think it's ad tech in general because the nature of the business changes so instantaneously that there are going to be failures all the time. So having the ability to be resilient and to be adaptable to change I think those kinds of skills are really important. Communication, flexibility, adaptable to change, and the ability to say when you don't know, hey, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what this is, right? A hundred percent. But other than that, you know, we have a job board. I know Angelina Ng from IAB has started. She's awesome. Yeah. She started something on LinkedIn where she posts jobs. I know Melissa Chapman from Beeler Tech. She shares jobs. Mm -hmm. She shares jobs a lot. So there's a lot of places for people looking to get in this industry can look to find jobs. I think you touched up on a couple of things. One, all all great places to find your next career or to get into ad tech. I think just touching up on one last one. I and I keep calling it Twitter, but X, I guess. You know, I, I posted something uh, like six or seven months ago that said, I learn more from Twitter than I do at work. And people were like, ouch. And it wasn't a sting. It wasn't to insult my work. I think what happens is people get stuck in their work and they refuse to look outside of their own walls. And what X has done in particular is I get the opportunity to speak with, you know, Ari Paparo or you or... Justin Beer or people at Amazon, people at Magnite, everyone. And so I'm hearing everybody's perspective of the market or a press release or a product. 
And so I think even just staying up to date on your knowledge of trends, it's really a forum that, that has created this conversation back and forth rather than LinkedIn, which I see as really a kind of like a press release promotional kind of platform. And I spend a lot of my time, both free time and work, having conversations, just asking questions of how are you addressing these issues? How does your technology address these issues? And how do you see this being addressed in the future? And I think for anyone entering, it is really important to just read, look at different resources, talk to different people at different groups. So whether they're product or ad ops or sales or management, I think the knowledge and being up to date is actually a huge value in our market. And some people just seem to silo themselves into their roles. But when you branch out, you learn so much more and you become a really good generalist. And then you can really become a specialist in your job. I agree with that 100%. That's where I got a lot of my knowledge from X. And for people I know working in ad ops, uh, to the, another point you made, it's ad ops is like a backroom function. So it's important for folks in ad ops to come out of the backroom and go talk to people, like you said, in sales or product, right? They, they can do this in, in real life too. Um, and we... I see people um, moving from ad ops to business intelligence or ad ops to data because of that, because they asked the questions or had the conversations. Lynn, this has been awesome. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you. Yeah, this has, been, this has been incredible. I can't wait to launch this. I really appreciate your support and I wish you the absolute best and I'm sure we'll speak soon. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the AdTech God Pod. Stay connected with us for more insights, trends, and interviews in the realm of AdTech. Don't miss out on our latest updates. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Keep the conversation going and stay at the forefront of AdTech innovation.